Well, anytime I'm doing premarital counseling with couples, there's a one key word that we use throughout all of counseling, and that is simply the word expectations. You see, every single conflict anybody will ever have in life has to do with differing expectations. You expected one thing, they expected another. You thought this was going to happen, but then they expected that this was going to happen, and it didn't happen the way they thought, it didn't happen the way that you thought, and all of a sudden now there's conflict. This happens with husbands and wives, it happens with kids and their parents, it happens with bosses and employees, with pastors and their people. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever conflict comes, you can always look back and trace it to differing expectations. Now, here's the deal. We do the same thing with God. We have an expectation of this is what it's going to look like for life to work out for me. This is what it's going to look like for me to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied in my life. But oftentimes our expectations of how that's going to work and God's expectations of how that's going to work are two completely different things. And so what we're going to do here during this Christmas season is we're going to look at that because there's a lot of like extra baggage that we carry around with us, especially during the holidays, because of these differing expectations. You thought life was going to be one way. God thought it was going to be another way for you. And all of a sudden, it isn't working out for you. And you've got this, this baggage, and you carry it around. It's especially ha- uh, heavy during the holidays here. Now, the first one that we're going to look at here as far as these differing expectations is one that, like, especially at Christmas time, is one that a lot of people end up dealing with. And so if you're taking notes today, I put it on your outline this way, that it's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. Let me say that again. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. This is the whole idea of contentment. Oftentimes, we have this expectation of these are the things that are going to be important, If I could just have these things, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be fulfilled. But God has completely different expectations. So look at it again. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. Now, this isn't a new problem. This goes all the way back to the very beginning. Think about Adam and Eve. God creates Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. They have a perfect relationship with one another. They have a perfect relationship with God himself. Everything that their eye can see as they look all around, God says, that is yours. It is good. He says, but there's one thing. Just don't eat of that tree right over there. Everything else is yours. Just don't eat of that tree. And what does Satan do? Satan comes along and he convinces them that the one thing that they can't have, that's what's going to make you happy. That's what will fulfill you. That's what's going to satisfy you. And they give in to that temptation. And see, we do the exact same thing, don't we? We are so often living with this, this expectation of, if I could just have a little more, then I'll be happy. We have this this thinking that if one is good, two must be better. John Rockefeller, who was the richest man who was living during his day and time, he was once asked by a reporter, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more do you really need? To which he replied to the reporter, I just need one more dollar. See, that's very selfish. That's being very, very arrogant. That's not being content with what God has given you. And we do the same thing. Well, if one car's good, then two cars must be even better. If I have a a 1,300-square-foot house, then a 2,600-square-foot house must be even better. 
oh yeah, sure, I, I have the latest iPhone, but they're coming out with a new one this Christmas, and I'm going to get that one because that's going to be even better. Solomon, he, he talks about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. When he says this, it's better to have only what? It's better to have only what? What's he say? One what? One, one handful. It's better to have only one handful with peace of mind than be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. Solomon's basically saying this. Look, your life is way too valuable and your calling is way too great and your God is way too good than to devote your life to things that simply don't matter, to devote your life to, to chasing after the wind, things that just simply won't last. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, 15, beware, Jesus beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, you can almost feel the intensity of Jesus here, can't you? He's like, beware, there is danger lurking right around the corner, and that danger wants to kill you, that danger wants to destroy you, that, that danger, it's, it's right there, it's called greed, it's trying to accumulate more and more stuff, beware, but that's the expectation that the world places on us, we've been fed a lie that your life and your worth is based off of the, the car that you own or how big your house is, the brand of clothing that you wear. Do you have the latest iPhone or not? And why would you not have a, an iPhone? You know, you don't get an Android. You, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be one of those people. I mean, we have all these expectations of the, the vacations that we take, the technology that we own. But listen, you are not your stuff. You are not your stuff. Stop buying the lie that you know, the, the things that you don't have are the things that are going to make you happy or popular or more successful or that the things that you don't have are going to be the things that are going to fulfill you or satisfy you in life. It simply doesn't work that way. Or think about it this way. Is it possible that the stuff that you already own is actually robbing you of the joy and the life that God wants you to have? Is it possible that as Solomon was talking about, you've been chasing after more and more and more. Solomon says, man, it's better to have just one handful with a little bit of stress or even no stress, no anxiety, than to have two handfuls and you're just constantly chasing after more. He says it's like you're trying to, to catch the wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind before? Like, how dumb do you look like trying to catch the wind? And Solomon's saying that's the very thing that you're doing. Anytime you're going after more and more stuff in life, that's exactly what you're doing. Now, I bring all this up because right now we're in the midst of Christmas season and Christmas shopping, and, you know, you're making your list. You've got things that you want people to buy you. Or maybe you're tempted to overspend and, and just perpetuate this in somebody else's life by buying them more and more and more stuff. And so we've got to be very, very careful because the temptation is to either overspend or over-desire. And so today what I want to look at is what would it really look like to be a one-handful kind of follower of Jesus? What would that look like to just be going after one handful and being content with that instead of chasing after the wind? So if you're taking notes, three things I want to talk to you about today. The first one is this. I must begin getting rid of the things which hinder me. 
I must begin getting rid of the things which hinder me. You know, before you get more stuff here at Christmas time, you need to go home and start getting rid of some of the stuff you already have. Start to declutter. Get rid of things that are in that junk drawer. Start cleaning out your closet, your garage, your attic, whatever it may be. Start throwing out, donating, selling. Do all these things like your life depends on it. Remember this. I should have put it on your outline. But remember this. Owning less is always better than trying to manage more. Let me say that again. Owning less is always better and easier than trying to manage more and organizing more. Remember what Jesus said. Your life is not about how much you own. This was the mistake that a young man that Jesus encountered made. He, by everything we could tell, he sort of had the world by the tail. We call this guy the, the rich young ruler. So just in his name itself, what does that imply? Well, he was rich, so he had money. He was a ruler of some sort, so he had power. So he has possessions, he has power. And by his own admission, he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, he's like, I'm obeying all of God's word, all of God's commands. So again, it looks like he really has his life together. But even this young man, he realizes that there's something that I'm missing. There's, there's just something that isn't quite right. What else do I need to do? To which Jesus says this to him in Luke 18, 22. There's still one thing that you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying what our main point is of the day. That by doing this, you're going to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. But yet this rich young ruler, he doesn't do it. Because his money, his possessions were more important to him than his relationship with God. And that's the mistake I want to help you to avoid here. I don't want you to, to put your stuff before God. And I'll be clear, having stuff is not wrong. Having nice stuff isn't wrong. Being rich, it's not a sin. But what I am saying to you is this. When it comes to your happiness and your fulfillment, if you are thinking that that's what's going to give you happiness and fulfillment, that's wrong. If you put the almighty dollar before the almighty God, that is wrong. We've got to be very, very careful here. Again, it's not wrong to have stuff. It's just we need to keep our stuff in its proper perspective. See, all of us have a void in our lives. And we think that that void can be filled if I just buy more and more things. If I have more stuff, better stuff, newer stuff. But what we need to understand is that, that that void that's in our life, it's a spiritual void. And it's a void that only God can fill, not buying more and more things. So don't allow your pursuit of stuff or the stuff that you already own to keep you from Jesus. So that's why the more stuff that you can get rid of, the better, because it's showing that, God, I don't rely on this stuff. I'm relying on you for my fulfillment. I'm relying on you for my satisfaction. I'm relying on you for my happiness. Now, as I've shared with you before, you know, when I share the word of God like this, this isn't rocket science, is it? Have I said anything hard today? that you need to go home and get rid of some stuff? 
You don't have to go, well, I need an advanced seminary degree to be able to understand that. No, go home and get rid of your stuff. <laughs> it's not hard. But why is it that we don't do it? Why is it that we still have all those little knickknacks all over our shelves? Why is it that we still have VHS tapes from the 1980s? You don't even still own a VCR, but yet you still have the VHS tapes in case I need it someday. Some of you still have your hammer pants, and MC Hammer says, dude, I haven't even wore those for two decades. You need to get rid of stuff. So why is it so hard to do it? I think there's two reasons. Letter A there on your outline. That is, I often have a hard time throwing things out because of fear. In our mind, we're like, what if I need this in the future? What if there's like an 80s like throwback Halloween party and I need those hammer pants? I can't get rid of them. And so we just keep holding on to things because we have this fear of what if I need it in the future? Or we say things like this, I pay good money for it. I want to be a good steward of what God has given me, so I can't just be throwing things out. But let me challenge you with this. If that is your philosophy, if that is your thinking, what that thinking reveals is a tremendous lack of faith in God. Because if in the future you have a need, you need to be trusting that God is going to meet your need, not that you are so smart to just accumulate a bunch of stuff in your garage in case I someday need it. Does that make sense to you? Who are you trusting in? Yourself in storing up all this treasure here on the earth? Or are you trusting God that he'll provide your needs when your needs are needed? So go home. Go home, even today. Start getting rid of stuff. If it's in your closet and you haven't worn it for over a year, put it in a bag, bring it in for Karen and I can. We'll give it away to the people of Harrisburg. So if you haven't worn it, donate it. Go home and look at all the things that you have. If you haven't used it for over a year, sell it. Get rid of it. Donate it. Get rid of it. Start to declutter. Start to get rid of things. Do a major, major purge. And then here's the new rule. This isn't a scriptural rule. This is just something I'm encouraging you to do. Here's the rule. From now on, every time you get a new shirt, you get rid of one of the shirts you already have. You get a new pair of shoes, you get rid of one of the pairs of shoes that you already have. You get any new piece of clothing, you're always getting rid of a similar type of piece of clothing. If you get a new tool, guys, get rid of a tool. Anything new that you get, you get rid of the previous one. Don't let fear rule your life. Trust that God is going to provide your needs when you need it. Letter B, then. I often have a hard time throwing things out because it's sentimental. How many of you, this, this is your problem? You're a little bit of a sap. That's me, right? You've got, like, your... Your first report card ever. You, you've got your first pay stub. You've got your kid's first drawing that they ever did. You've got your kid's 87th drawing that they ever did, and they were 18 years old when they did that one. Get rid of it. Come on. 
you got your grandma's china. It's in a box in the attic, but you still got it because, well, it's grandma's. I can't get rid of that. It's grandma's. Or you got it in a china cabinet. You never actually use it. Like people come over to eat and it just sits there. People see it. You don't actually use it. Start getting rid of stuff. You just simply don't need it. Now, again, if I'm being honest, this one's a hard one for me. I'll give you, and this is, this is so dumb, but many of you remember I, I had a major accident when I was 12 years old, football injury. I was in the hospital for a month. I was in a full body cast for a couple months after that, which meant that I missed Christmas, my seventh grade year, at school. And so what my classmates did was during art class, Mr. Benedum, they made a giant, and I mean giant, Christmas card. Massive. It was pink. I don't know why they chose pink, but anyway. But they like, drew this like, piece of holly on the front of it and everything. And literally, like almost, I, I guess my particular class would have been like 200 or so students. Every single kid like, signed it. They put like, a little encouraging note that we miss you, all that kind of stuff. I just turned 50. This was when I was 12. And it's only been within the last couple years that I finally got rid of it. I, every time we moved somewhere, I'm taking this big old pink card with me everywhere that we go. But you know how I dealt with it? If, if you're like me and it, it's sentimental, what the, the sentimental stuff does for you is, is you see it and it brings back a memory for you. And you're like, if I don't have it to see it, maybe I'll forget it. So here's what I did. I got out the old phone. I took a picture. The front, the inside, the back. Now, it's in my Google Photos. So it's not cluttering up my house anymore. Maybe it's cluttering up my storage space a little bit. But even that, I mean, it doesn't take much to do that. But I've started doing that with all kinds of sentimental things. I just take pictures of it. So I still have it if I want to be able to see it and be reminded of it but yet it isn't actually taking up space anymore in our house. So again, I, I want to encourage you to, to go home and start getting rid of a bunch of stuff. Basically, to, to, to sort of paraphrase what Solomon was saying is that it's better to have one fool with peace of mind than two handfuls where you can barely walk through your house because it's so cluttered, and you haven't been able to park in your garage since the first George Bush was president. I mean, come on, people. Get rid of some stuff. Start to declutter. All right, so number one is I've got to get rid of things. Number two, then, on your outline, I must buy less. You're going, Gilbert, too late. Black Friday already happened. Cyber Monday already happened. You should have preached this message a couple weeks ago. We would have been better off. And you're right, maybe I should have preached it a couple weeks ago, but here's the deal. I don't want you to just stop or not buy as many things right now. I want you to do this for the rest of your life. And so this is a habit that we need to get into. We have got to stop buying as much as what we do. You know, I, I've preached this in the past, especially when we do like financial series, that as Americans, very few Americans actually have an income problem. What most Americans have is a spending problem. We just spend and spend and spend and spend. We buy more and more and more and more. We accumulate just all kinds of stuff. 
to the point now that the storage industry in America is over a billion dollars a year. Now think about that. What people are saying is, my drawer is so full that now I've got to like fill up my closets with stuff. And now my closets are so full that I've got to start filling up my attic with stuff. And now my attic is so full that I've got to start filling up my garage with stuff. And my garage is so full, I don't have enough room. I'm actually going to pay somebody else to store all my crap. Over a billion dollars a year in the storage industry. We don't have an income problem. We have a spending problem. And did you know that 62% of all Americans in a recent survey said that they a lot of times end up spending not because they need something, but because it's going to help cheer them up? In other words, in the exact same way that a lot of people eat to try to eat away their emotions, a lot of people spend to try to deal with their emotions as well. And it kind of makes sense because when you buy something, it does give you that momentary sense of happiness. And then the credit bill card bill comes, and you're like, oh, why did I do that? Why did I buy that? Psalm 119, verse 36, David writes, and he says, turn my heart to your laws and not towards what? Not towards meaningless things. That's what we should be doing. We should be seeking after God with our heart and after his word and his laws, not seeking after meaningless things. Because stuff will always let you down, but Jesus never, ever will. And so I've said this to you before in the past as well. Stop spending money that you don't have to buy things that you don't need to impress people that you may not even like. Just stop buying as much stuff. Stop doing it. Instead, pursue Jesus. Seek him first, his kingdom, and his righteousness. Then all the other things will be given to you as well. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he's writing to the guy he's discipling, Timothy. And he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, anytime you read this where Paul's giving this instruction to the rich, you're going, whew, <laughs> glad that doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. But yes, you are. Yes, you are rich. If you drove here today in a car, you're one of the world's richest people. If you eat three meals in a day or at least have the option to eat three meals in a day, you're one of the world's richest people. If when you went to your closet today, you had more than one option of clothing to wear here to church this morning, you're one of the world's richest people. Do you know that if you make even minimum wage in this country, you're still in the top 10% of the world's richest people? So as Americans, we are very, very rich. So yes, this verse does apply to you. And Paul's reminding us here that when we become selfish and prideful and arrogant with our riches, then life's just going to become a crapshoot. But if you want a hope that is 100% guaranteed, a hope that will never, ever fail you, then put your hope in Jesus. Because he's going to richly bless you both in this life and in the life to come. 
And then Paul follows this up in the, the very next verse by giving a command then to Timothy. And this command isn't go buy more stuff. Go get the latest gadgets. Go do, you know, the, these things that you think are going to make you happy. No, his final command here then is our final way to become a one handful living type of Christian. It's number three on your outline. That is that I must become radically generous. We've got to become radically generous with our time, with our money, with our possessions. Here's what Paul actually writes to Timothy in verses 18 and 19. He says, command the rich to do as many good deeds as they can and to help everyone. Also, command them to be generous and share what they have. This will lay a solid foundation for the future so they will know what true life is like. Paul's like, look, it's generosity that's going to lead to the true life. In other words, less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. You know, as I, I think of my own life, I cannot think of one story that I could tell you where I would get choked up telling you the story because of a new car that I bought or a house that Lisa and I bought or any, like, big screen TV. I, I can't think of one story like that that would get me all emotional. But I could literally tell you dozens and dozens of stories that would get me all choked up about times where God asked Lisa and I to make a major financial sacrifice of some way, to like take a lot less income in order to be able to do something for his kingdom, or to, to get out the checkbook and in faith write a very, very large check in order to bless someone or a ministry. And the reason that those stories would choke me up as I told them is because of the change that we would have seen in people's lives. And even the change that we saw in our own lives because we weren't trusting in the things of this world. We were saying, God, it's all yours. You gave it to us. And so we're willing to give it all away if need be. And so here's what I'm going to challenge you with as we wrap up today. When you think about the stuff that you own, are you living with an open hand, a hand where you say, God, it's all yours, you've given it to me, so now you can take it away if you choose? Are you living with a clenched fist? And see, what you need to realize is that if you have a clenched fist, what's inside your fist is all you will ever have. Because you're holding on to it tightly. God, it's mine. And your expectation is, God, this is what's going to make me happy. I, I, I finally got this. It's mine now. God's expectation is that you would live with an open hand. God, it's all yours. And you can give and you can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So how do you live in your life? Again, at, at this time of year, at Christmas, it's so easy to get caught up in consumerism. And you've got your long list of, everybody, you need to buy me these things. Because if I get this for Christmas, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be satisfied. Then I'll be fulfilled. But as I've said to you in the past, Realize that every single thing that you get is either going to eventually wear out, it's going to break, it's going to get stolen, it's going to get lost. Things are so 
temporary. It's only what we do for Jesus when we live with an open hand, when we live this radically generous life that we actually now have fulfillment in our lives. And so the question is, are you going to accumulate things here or are you going to invest things forever? So three things we talked about here today. You need to go home and start getting rid of a bunch of stuff. Donate it, sell it, trash it, just get rid of a bunch of stuff. Number two, stop buying as much stuff. And then number three, learn to live generously. Let's make life about less of what doesn't matter and more about what does matter. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you again for just how awesome your word is. And as I said earlier, nothing that I said today is really rocket science. This all makes perfect sense to us. Just get rid of some stuff, stop buying stuff, start giving away more stuff, being generous. It's not hard, but as I've said in the past, those things which are easy to do are also easy not to do. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit has been speaking to people and convicting people that they need to take practical next steps, even starting today, to go home and clean out their closet to pare back their Christmas list, to look at how can I be radically generous throughout this Christmas season. And Lord, we know that you said that if we can be entrusted with little, that you'll entrust us with more. And so, Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us will be faithful to your word, to not rely on the, the things of this world for our satisfaction and our contentment and our happiness, but to truly trust in you, Jesus, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus, help this life not to be about us and the things we can accumulate and do. Help it to be about what we can do for you and what we can give on your behalf in order to help this lost and hurting and dying world. Jesus, thank you, even now, for the stories that we're going to hear in the coming weeks and months and years of people who heard this message here live or maybe they're watching online or watching in the future. And they're like, oh, that's the day that my life changed. I went from expecting one thing out of life and how life works to now living by God's expectations. That's the day my life changed. And as a result, now other people's lives have changed as well. Jesus, again, we thank you for those stories that are going to happen as we're obedient to your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.